Hi, Dan. Hi, John. How's it going out there? Good. It's good. It's really good. How are you doing? Good. I saw your lunch. It looked very appetizing. I had a nice hamburger. Yeah, it was really good. You have, uh, you know, your Instagram uh, lunches, they're really a thing of beauty, and they make me realize that I don't, I don't do lunch well enough. I don't, I don't, um, don't you, you, know, skip, a lot, you is, skip a lot of meals. I, I get the I impression. Skip, I skip a lot of meals and you know, it seems like you, you have a, a very good routine and mm-hmm. your routine involves having lunch at a, at a certain time. Mm-hmm. And you know, like when I worked in an office many years ago and you got lunch at a certain time, you went to all the places nearby that served lunch. Right. And eventually you figured out the good ones and the bad ones and the ones you went to re- repeatedly. And you have what seems like a great selection of lunches. Uh, and I don't most of the time eat lunch. And when I do eat lunch, it's always sort of random. Yesterday I had lunch, which was like a ludicrous amount of dim sum with my two pals. Today I have had no lunch. I've had no food of any kind. Tomorrow I probably won't have lunch. And meanwhile, every day you're like, here's a beautiful brisket. Here's an incredible hamburger. Here's yeah. a here's a thing of here's a delightful thing. And I'm like I think oh. part of it is because my breakfasts and dinners are so mundane and basic and almost I mean, I don't want to say they're non existent because like I'm eating food, but they're they're nothing they're nothing that a human being would want to talk about or admit it's nothing that one would look forward to it's you know it's almost but not quite like you know eating soylent in a way it's just like this is nutritionally viable for me to consume Mm -hmm. and that that is what i will consume for you know for breakfast and uh and dinner so the lunch is really becomes the standout meal most people oh they want a great dinner when they get home for me it's just simply I'm I'm looking forward to consuming this product, which will alleviate the gnawing feeling of hunger in my stomach and provide me with nutrients. So lunch is your, you know, this is a Midwestern thing, right? Or a, a, like a, a Texan thing even where lunch is the big meal. And that I, you would I don't say know lunch if, was if your, it is. I'm, it, it is for me, but I, I approve no, no, of I, that. I like that. I think it's a traditional, that is a traditional sort of farm country approach because cool. you come in at, you come in the middle of the day you eat a huge you know like uh my mom always called lunch dinner this is not news right lunch was dinner and dinner, dinner was, was supper. supper right right so i mean that was always confusing to me when i was a little kid because of course when you're a little kid you don't want you don't want people giving you this whole history lesson about ohio it was just like, what are you talking about? Dinner is dinner. Stop it. But now I understand the reason that was, was that dinner is the biggest meal of the day. And they just had it during the noon. Because then they would go back out. They'd do their farming. They'd do their, they'd geld some geldings. They'd uh, milk some milkings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They'd do the things. They'd do all the things that they do. And uh, they needed that. They needed that gravy. They needed that extra bit of pan sauce. Right. And that sounds like how you're living, right? You 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 go. You get the pan sauce at lunch, and then at dinner you just have some, what? Some like hard boiled eggs and and sand. Yeah, that's about right. 
Um, dinner is usually, you know, there is some kind of a protein. Protein could be chicken. It could be a hamburger patty by itself on the plate. Wow. Let me interrupt you. Yes. Please. I do not. I do, I do not like when people refer to food by like by describing it as protein, starch, fat. Uh-huh. Those are the those are the things. Those are the the building blocks, the elements. Yeah. If you're making a food pyramid, for instance, to hang on the wall of an elementary school lunchroom. <laughs> but to say like I'm going to have a helping of protein, it really feels like we're already in a place where we are growing chicken breasts in a lab. That's like what my dinner is. You're describing my dinner. It's some kind of lab grown. That's what you're looking forward to. Um, but I'm not looking forward to it. I'm simply trying to get through it. You are existing in that space right now. Yes. I just want to get through the dinner so that I can have the next breakfast, get through that and then eat, eat an enjoyable lunch. Lunch is everything. Uh huh. For breakfast so, is, is very basic. It's all very basic. It's not a matter of taste. It's simply, this is the thing that I consume to give me the energy I need to function in the day. What what will help me not, pass out during the day. Uh, I, that's what I'm going to eat. What's the, and, takes the least amount of time to prepare and is still good for me. But are you looking forward to a time when food, when you are able to just get meat that is grown in a lab? No, I'm not looking forward to that, especially because I don't trust lab, anything that comes from a lab. Uh, I've seen labs, yeah. And I don't I don't like them. They're not clean and I don't even the clean ones. They got What if it's what if it's a like a country uh organic country ass lab? And what are they growing that, in it? Steaks uh, on a tree? Know, yes, steaks. <laughs> yeah, tree tree steaks. Tree steaks. I mean, I would eat a tree steak if I could. I don't know how good it would be. Would I get to cook it or would it be cooked on the vine? Uh I mean, I guess the big question is when will they get tree steaks that are good enough that you can take them home and cook them yourself without needing to have that pre-cooked by right. somebody to you know, where they add in enough MSG that it's eatable? Are you when you get a steak? How do you have it cooked? Do you have it cooked rare, medium rare? Well, Dan, are you asking about how I cook it or how I get it in a restaurant? How, regardless of who prepares it, if you could have it any way you want it. Oh, I see. Um, so I like a medium rare steak. Mm-hmm. If a steak is too rare, uh, then I want it. Uh, then I then I will sit and I will I, I I'll eat a very rare steak, but I will cut it very very thin. Like a like little tiny bites of a mm-hmm. rare steak. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit and gobble down rare steak. It's too there's too much humanity in that. A medium rare steak is where I can eat it and I and I'm just like pleasantly in every bit of it. Except if it's a not a good steak, you don't want a not a good steak at all. But if you have to eat a not a good steak, you don't want a medium rare. I feel like if it's a it's if it's a bad steak. Of, and of which there are thousands of kinds, you want it medium because it's you know you're eating it because it's a protein, not because it's a delicious experience right. that where you're going down the road together. 
Um, but when I cook my own steaks, I'm a terrible, 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 terrible steak maker, steak griller. And so I always do it wrong. And, you know, with, when I cook steak at home, it's, you, you, you get what, you get what you get and don't be upset. But, but yeah, I, in a restaurant, I would like it to be a classic medium rare. Now I'm imagining, Dan, that you are like a rare as rare can be steak eater. I mean, I can eat a steak like that. I, I generally, it depends on the restaurant and like what, what kind of steak they're doing. If it's just sort of a generic, then I'll do medium rare. But if yeah. I know the place, I know it's going to be really good. And I, yeah, may, I might do a rare, but medium rare is my go-to. Yep. 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 I understand that. And, 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 uh, and it is for me too, although that varies a lot. What, what people call medium rare. Oh yeah. I, I don't, uh, you know, one time many years ago I had steak tartare Mm -hmm. that was prepared in a way that I liked and I liked it so much, you know, just basically beef sushi uh, and I've been trying to, I've been chasing that dragon ever since mm. that steak tartare dragon. But um, it, when I had it, it was not in America, and the way they make it in America appalls me. How do they make so, it here? That's different from where you had it. Well, where I had it, they made it with no, certainly no um, capers. And paprika instead, hmm. and uh, and just a little bit of paprika, like sprinkled across the top. And in America, they seem to think that capers are so integral to the recipe of steak tartare that it's impossible to find it without. Uh, like I go into a restaurant and it says steak tartare, and I go, "Do you have? Do you put capers in that?" And the waiter, and it doesn't say it on the menu, right? It's like steak tartare with parsley and rutabagas and i'm like is there are there capers in that and they're like well yeah i'm like so it's so obvious to you that there should be capers in this that you don't even feel like you need to put it on the menu it just goes with it's right. the tartare it's the tartare part to you of the steak tartare it's so annoying anyway that's neither here nor there i'm worried about this tendency it feels a little bit like people are starting to describe things as proteins, fats, and starches. It, 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 you it's feel an like evolution. it's too re- re- reductive of the value of the food. Yeah, it takes the you know the difference between like eating some firm tofu and eating a trout is significant enough to me that they don't fall under the rubric of like, I got a helping of protein. Right. I would never refer to like what I had today at lunch as this was a protein. I would never do that. It's only, it's only those weird chicken breasts. It's like revealing of how I feel about my (laughs) sustenance meals that I would refer to them because it simply is like, I'm having, what did you have for dinner? I had uh, 30 grams of protein and eight grams of starch and 14 grams of carbs in what form is irrelevant it could have been in a paste. It doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's not, you know, it's not eating for enjoyment. It's eating for life. Yeah. But that, that, you know, this, it feels like we're on our way very, very quickly here. 
to a world where they're going to start providing food to us in tubes that was not normally a tube food. Yeah, I don't want that. I don't want like, like blended food. Or space anything. food. And they're going to they're going to sell it like this, this, you know, two dollops of this and one dollop of that. And it's all your protein. Yeah. But, you know, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, I have a huge bag of Soylent that I've never opened. I don't know why I, I feel like I'm, maybe I'm keeping it for an apocalypse or something. But um, that'd probably be, you know, a good use for it, I would think, or MREs. Do you have MREs? I used to do. I used to do. I don't have any MREs right now. I uh, I do have quite I do have quite a collection of apocalypse food still. I feel like it's important. I don't know why. L- less and less am I actually preparing for an apocalypse. Hmm. Is that because and you're getting lazy or because you don't think it's going to happen? I feel like apocalypse preparation in a way is it's is its own uh you know it's like self-fulfilling prophecy not that there will be an apocalypse but that you will be living in a personal apocalypse Mm. all the time like people are making decisions based on apocalypses that they are preparing for not apocalypses that are really imminent and those decisions are almost always wrong or they're not helping anybody, right? I mean, if you're at home and you're thinking like, I got to make this decision based on the apocalypse. Right. I'm increasingly feeling like you do a minimum of apocalypse preparation where you don't feel, you know, you, where, where when something happens and you're like, ah, oh, that was inevitable. Oh, and look who doesn't have any water. Womp, womp. <laughs> like, you don't want to feel like a dummy. But that whole thing of like, well, I better not leave the house without all of the tools I would need to live off the land for a year. It's like, yeah, I think you'll be all right. I think you can leave the house without all that stuff. I think you'll be able to, I think you'll be able to forage until you can put a fishing kit together. You know what I mean? If you can't forage long enough to find a fishing pole, then you're not going to survive if you do have a fishing pole. Right. So I don't know. It may be, it may just be as time goes on, these are, these are weird times. It's really hard to – this whole business of the Juggalos marching on the same day as the Nazis. Are, are you following this story? Not the Juggalos. No, what's going on? So the Nazis are marching in Washington. They're trying to have a million-man march, and it's going to be about a like a 2,000-man march. Or who knows? Maybe it will be one of those great clan rallies from the twenties where it's just clansmen all the way down the mall. I don't know. I don't honestly I do not have my finger on the pulse of exactly how popular the clan is right now. It seems like it's still pretty unpopular. I think so. But people are afraid that the clan is more popular because the president is a is a clansman. So the 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 Nazis have decided the right, the alt right, the um the MRAs all the disenfranchised American white men who feel put upon uh, are marching on Washington on September 18th, I think, some, some date right around there. And it happens to coincide with the date that had been chosen a long, long time ago by the Juggalo Nation to march on Washington to protest the fact that the FBI had declared them a gang. A, a violent criminal gang, which the FBI did at some point 
I think now a long time ago, classified juggalos as a violent gang. Okay. Which the FBI is doing for reasons of their own. The FBI is not like, doesn't really have their finger on the pulse. But, you know, admittedly, the juggalos are very confusing to people. But it was hugely offensive to the juggalos to be classified as a violent gang because they consider themselves to be a family. And honestly, the juggalos are just modern deadheads. And (laughs) frankly, the FBI probably had the deadheads classified as a gang for a long time too. We just didn't know or, you know, we didn't know what the FBI did back then. They were quieter. Anyway, so the juggalos are marching on Washington to say, we are not a violent gang. Treat us, you know, treat us as the beautiful family that we are. And what's hilarious is that from the standpoint of most sort of ivory tower coastal liberals, right? The, the juggalos are this kind of, um, there are people listening who don't know what a juggalo is right now. Can that possibly be? Yes. All right. Well, I'll break it all. And I, I I know that because I'm only slightly (laughs) familiar with what a juggalo is. So there's a band called the insane clown posse and the insane clown posse are two white dudes who dress in scary clown makeup and they are a rap group. Are they still making music? Yes. And they're a, they came about during the era of, I guess you would describe it as gangster rap. They were, uh, just two kind of like, I would describe them, I guess, ultimately as like two just sort of Joes. Um, and they hit upon this, this, uh, face paint, this, uh, this scary clown thing was their bit. And I think in the t- in their own time, in their early days, no one in the music world took them very seriously at all. They seemed like a gimmicky band that was not that was kind of like within the kid rock style of like Midwestern white guy making hip hop and using a confusing array of signals like big furry pimp hat plus Confederate flag plus strippers plus lyrics about lyrics in a patois about killing people. It's very hard to know what this is all about, but it really appealed to young dudes in the Midwest as a kind of, you know, it's confusing time, confusing turf. And it's like, yes, this white rapping about chicks and guns is kind of the new Motley crew, but coming from a way different, way different place. Like I, the appeal of kid rock is, I think almost a perfect overlap with the sons of people who love Ted Nugent, mm-hmm. right? It's just a, like a, it just follows it's Ted Nugent, except with hip hop beats and insane clown posse is kiss of Leonard Skinner kids. Okay, right. Right. It's the kiss. It's wait a minute. No, that doesn't make any sense. It's the, if you loved Leonard Skinner equally, wait a minute. Now that doesn't even work. Well, you see my confusion, Dan. So it's not easy to explain really. No, it's not at all. 
but so insane clown posse comes out with this music and within the music community and the people that write about music and the larger world insane clown posse is completely dismissed there's nothing there no you know don't even slow your car down to watch this train wreck right they will be gone in a day so you don't have to uh, the the initial reviews were just like is this for real whatever moving on let's talk about the new tegan and sarah record but Insane Clown Posse attracted a very vocal and active fan base. And they had all their own sort of nomenclature. Uh, they had a logo which was like a hatchet carrying, the profile of a hatchet carrying clown, like a murdering clown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, Insane Clown Posse fans would get that tattooed on themselves, and somehow, and I don't, I do not know the legend, but somehow, fans of the band became known as Juggalos. Right. I don't understand why. I don't. It's not important enough to me to go all the way down the rabbit hole of like what lyric that refers to. And then female Juggalos are Juggalettes, predictably. Uh, but that doesn't anyway, that just mean that you're just a, f- a fan. Of the band. Well, no. So as the band got more and more popular within their subgroup, they became more and more a target of mockery and derision by the quote unquote smart music people. And the more the, uh, the more the insane clown posse was derided, the more it galvanized the community of people that loved the band around them to feel like this was a, you know, this was their community. And so the juggalo world started to be this kind of self-governing, self-defining cultural entity that started to embrace other bands like tech nine. And there was a whole community of bands that were in the family of insane clown posse that became sort of, the part of this larger world and because they were so reviled and it's not just that they're reviled because the band was like, uh, the music is bad and the lyrics are violent and misogynist and, and, uh, gross and just, but, but the band really appealed to what you would describe, I think as a very, lower middle class socioeconomic group drawn from all of the sort of marginalized Appalachian uh, and Midwestern kind of like sub-suburban, ex-suburban communities of people that, you know, where Kid Rock was too mainstream, right? I mean, it's like – they're drawing from a group of people in America that are already derided by the people on the coasts, not, not understood and, and treated with contempt, right? They don't, they're not college educated. They're not, they're, you know, like working class, I guess, but, but not working, you know, like, like what, I mean, there's no other way to describe them, but that's the deplorables. Let's just use Hillary Clinton's term. Okay. Okay. So the more approbation was 
was directed at these people, the more they felt like they were an island of misfit toys. And from Insane Clown Posse, it's really it's, it's so interesting to watch a socioeconomic or a, a social group like this form. Because Insane Clown Posse was issuing their own sort of take on things, but they weren't they weren't dictating what the ideology was. This group, this was self-confirming. And I think what's what's confusing to people on the left is that, or I mean, when I say people on the left, I guess I'm just talking about urbanites now. But this group draws from the communities that you would naturally assume are the strongest Trump supporters. But juggalos consider themselves the freaks of the world. And within the juggalo community, there evolved a very strong sense of like, if you aren't accepted anywhere else, if you are one of the freaky deaky people, you are welcome here. Hmm. And so within the juggalo community, which is coming out of these, I mean, the, the, Juggalos are often like coming out of families that are virulently racist. You know, your brother is in the clan, but you're a juggalo. Mm. Like it's it they they're coming from similar places in the country and in the in the economic strata, but juggalos were from very early on like stridently anti-racist stridently anti-sexist or i mean sexism is a hard one because they talk about violence against women pretty in a pronounced way but but if you challenge them on it they'll say that it's figurative language you know they're they're, they're pretty smart about dissecting their own thing they're not like they don't do it academically but they're aware of needing to say like when we say fuck that bitch up, put a gun in her mouth, et cetera, et cetera, we don't really mean it. <laughs> we mean, you know, it's like whatever. It's like a it's just it's just poetry. It's just the language of oh, sure. streets. I mean that's you know, how have, that's how everyone yeah. wants their poetry. Sure. They have a way of describing it that is that's just that justifies it within its own realm, right? But they're they're very clear about being um in for the most part very i guess you would say woke in terms of their take on social justice issues and within the juggalo community there is they have a we accept everyone philosophy and that's a hard pill to swallow from the standpoint of an urban elite who wants to dismiss everyone from low income, low education, low, uh, culture, you know, like adherence of low culture, but also like low culture quotient. You want to just sort of say like, that's where racism comes from. That's where, uh, ignorance dwells. And so it's very hard to, to fit this juggalo community and they're pretty freewheeling and 
and generally like pretty progressive politics because it's expressed in this way that's just like, yo, yo, fuck you, brah. Like it's very – it's just hard to uh, get past the signifiers right. that this is junk. We would like to say thanks very much to Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. It's true. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone, and they do this by supporting more sustainable food systems, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs like me and like you. They have established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States so that their seafood is sourced sustainably, beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals, produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. And all of this happens for your benefit. They're shipping you the exact amount of each ingredient required for the recipes that they've come up with and sent out to you. And so they're reducing food waste. You won't have any waste. That's the brilliant part. You get exactly what you need for these meals You get to cook them yourself with your friends, with your family. And you're going to wind up spending under $10 per person for a really delicious meal that you made yourself. Take pride in that. And the meals are great. Here's a couple of them. They've got one miso butter salmon and lo mein noodles with cucumber and charmed tomatoes. I don't even know what a charmed tomato is. Now I want to make that meal. Basil pesto chicken with summer vegetable panzanea. Again, I want to try this. Sounds good. And they send you recipes that are actually makeable. You can make these things. They look like they're going to look on the little card when they send it to you and they taste great. And you can actually do this for less than 10 bucks per person per meal. It's a steal and you get to eat real food. Not like uh, just a 25 ounces of protein to sustain you, but actually enjoyable dinners. So here's what you do. You go to blueapron.com slash roadwork, blueapron.com slash roadwork. And if you go there, you will get your first three meals for free with free shipping. Can't beat that. So go, go check that out. Blueapron.com slash roadwork and get those meals for free and be happy and eat well. Thank you, Blue Apron. So, I hosted a thing here in Seattle a few years ago where it was a uh, it was during the Bumbershoot Festival and I was hosting a a show every day we would do a different show where I would bring two people in from different cultures and we would have a kind of panel discussion about those cultures and you know it's like oh this is a that this I brought a dancer in who who uh, who developed twerking in New right, Orleans right and. Uh, you know, to demonstrate twerking and to describe the sort of twerking culture. And they were on a panel with, uh, I forget what the other person did, but some, you know, some kind of similarly unusual cultural corner that, that maybe contrasted, but also was just an interesting sort of like they're interesting little places where cultures kind of fit or don't fit. And one of the panels was, I had a brony and a juggalo on stage and it, and it quickly sort of felt like they were each sort of advocating for their culture. 
and the brony was this guy who advertised himself as the ma- world's manliest brony. He's like a Harley motorcycle mechanic who lives in Detroit, Michigan or somewhere like that. And we flew him out, big burly bearded guy. And he was like, friendship is magic. And he went into how my little pony. So anyway, to those listening who don't know what a brony is, there's a television show called my little pony that's targeted at little girls, but it has a, a message of positivity that appeals to people of all ages and, uh, and genders. And this guy was like, this show is for little girls, but it's really, a, it's really about all the things that are great, all the great human values. And I espouse it. And I live my life according to the principles of my little pony. And it was charming. And then there was this juggalo whose name was Matt, the dragon. And Matt was a skinny, kid from the south and skinny and kind of frenetic in that in that way that you that seemed to go with like drinking a lot of energy drinks right i see it and matt the dragon was in the process of making a documentary about the juggalos but he was decidedly like full-on in the community and and you know was was here saying like look juggalos don't really have spokespeople but i am you know i'm happy to describe the community and the audience at the festival was very hostile to him. And people actually got up out of the audience and said, I'd like to read you some insane clown posse lyrics and see how you uh, 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 you can now try to defend these lyrics. And they would read this stuff that was just terrible, violent, you know, aggressive, uh, largely anti-woman lyrics. And Matt the Dragon said, here's the thing. These lyrics reflect the world that a lot of people are coming from. And you may not like it. It may disgust you, but it is actually the world that these young guys and gals are. That's the world they're coming out of. And so they're attracted to Insane Clown Posse because these lyrics feel real to them and they feel like, you know, they're drawn in by the by the grittiness and the and the way that these lyrics are, you know, like actually describe reality as they understand it. And then once they are a member of our family, our community of juggalos, we teach them to respect other people. We teach them, we domesticate them. We bring them into our family and we give them a place where they feel belonging for the first time. They feel a member of a community and a family and we we do not practice violence against people within our community. We are peaceful or peace loving. We are, uh, we're about equality and we're about justice. And the audience was, didn't know what to do with that. You know, they weren't expecting Matt, the dragon to be articulate. And he didn't say it like that. He said it, he, he yo-yoed the shit out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. He was like, yo, 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 it's like this. And he was, he definitely felt on the hot seat, but he also believed his thing. And, and so I was like, okay, Matt, the dragon, like you have, uh, at least made me no longer comfortable being just straight up contemptuous of juggalos. I now look at, look upon them with, with curiosity. So fast forward to the present, the juggalos are marching on Washington on the same day that the Nazis are marching on Washington. Mm. 
And at one level, the like at the basest level, these young white dudes in in Missouri, like you could see that there could be situations where it was a familial civil war. You know, the older brother became a skinhead and the younger brother became a juggalo. Right. And so at one level, they seem like they're communities that are coming from the same place to, in some degree. But then, of course, there's this element to these to the Nazis now where it's all these white bread college dudes from the University of Reno. Right. These guys who are espousing a sort of like we're the master race and I'm proof of it because I have a an associate's degree in, you know, in uh, HVAC repair. And so I'm a, like, you know, I'm like a representative of the new white, <laughs> the new white America. Right. Like, so a very interesting situation where maybe the, maybe the alt-right Nazi crowd is going to be pushing itself as like high class. Whereas juggalos never, ever, ever would, would like put on airs. Like it's, it's antithetical to, to their culture that anybody would ever be try and be highfalutin about it. So from the perspective of somebody in Seattle, right, these are two groups that seem violent and blue collar and Southern slash Midwestern and they're converging on Washington. It could be like this awful confluence. But in fact, I think knowledgeable people are watching this going, holy shit, this could be like a, cause the juggalos hate Nazis. Yeah. Like they hate Nazis almost more than anything. And juggalos are not, I mean, they're not people who would be afraid to punch Nazis and, you know, punching Nazis is a very popular meme right now. So we're leading up to this day in, in not very long. And like most of these things that we get all excited about these apocalyptic, uh, convergences where it's like the Nazis and the Juggalos are meeting. It's going to be an open war, and then it's not right. The right. cops keep them apart, or you know, two guys get into a fight in a bar, but nothing happens. Most of the time, that's true. But every once in a while, you get one of these WTO situations where you know, in the run up to it, it's like, well, there are going to be a lot of protesters there. Well, you know, the cops are getting ready, but nobody's ready for the fact that oh my god, the town went the town came unglued yeah, and, um, and that might happen. And I think it might happen because people don't, people aren't aware that these are two cultures that are on a collision course with each other for the hearts and minds of kind of the same recruits. And neither one of them is what we would choose for them, right? We all want we in our in our in our leftist uh, cultural communities. We all just hope that everybody goes to community college and gets a good job in IT. <laughs> That's our only vision for <laughs> the millions and millions of out of work Midwestern teenage boys right. and girls, right? Like, well, maybe if you get into a community college, you get a good job in IT. That's the best we can think of. We have no idea what is going on there and we're scared of it and we don't, we just, you know, if we don't feel, if we don't act with contempt, then we just shun. But here are these, these two like marginalized versions of, 
of uh, what what can happen if if as a young poor midwestern person you feel just bumped out of the world you're not gonna you're not gonna do that you're gonna take a different course well you could ju- you could be a white supremacist or you could follow this be like crazy um, face painted hatchet wielding clown <laughs> rap right group I'm excited for it and I'm excited for the juggalos. I really feel like it's going to be one of those things where the juggalos play a much larger role in the future of America than any, anyone could have guessed. Listen, I need more Mac Weldon underpants. Do you? Yeah, I do. Well, I don't know whether con- it's to- convenient because that's our sponsor today. Really? Yes. Do you want them to uh, see if we can get them to send you more? I do. I do. Uh, so, Tell me what you like about the Mack Weldon underpants. Well, it's amazing. You know, the Mack Weldon underpants, right, are, they're just great underpants. But I uh, I told you that I went and played a show down in, in, in just uh, the underpants. No, but when I got to the show, the the special show that had been contracted by a by a listener as a gift to her boyfriend and his uh, brother. Ah, right. The special show. When I got there, one of the calling cards that she offered as by, uh, by way of explaining that her boyfriend and his brother and their families were worthy of this special treat. And I was like, yes, go on. She had this list of like reasons why I should take, uh, not that why I should take her seriously because she clearly just understood that I should take her seriously. She was a, she's a non, no nonsense person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she wanted me to know that these were not fly by night fans that, um, and one of the ways was, she said, both uh, my partner and his brother are wearing your magic Mack Weldon underpants. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that's, you know, like they listen to your show and they right. buy the underwear. Right. And I was like, oh, well, that's wonderful. So when I got to the show, I was like, so you guys got your, you got your silver underwear? You got your special silver underwear? And they were like, no, we're just wearing the the regular Mac Weldon underwear, but it still is like, it still is doing a fine, fine job. It's just, you know, it's not protecting, uh, protecting us against, um, ghosts or whatever the silver stuff does. It's not wicking away. Uh, like, um, I think it would be vampires if it was vampires. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But, uh, but they were very proud of werewolves or something. Exactly. Well, werewolves, they were very proud of their Mack Weldon underwear. And then I realized I was the only one in the room that didn't have Mack Weldon underwear because my millennial ex-girlfriend stole all my she underwear. She took it? I remember you were saying that she was using it, but she never returned it. No, she took it. When she left, she took all my coffee and she packed up my Filson bags and took my <laughs> Mack Weldon underwear. So now here so I you am. So lost, you lost your Filson bags, coffee, and underwear. Not all of them. Not all of them. Let's be honest. I'm exaggerating, but I did lose... I did lose some, which is more than I intended to lose. Man. Yeah. Uh, but and I'm not asking for, you know, for anybody to restore me to fill some wholeness because I'm I'm pretty well. I'm pretty well sorted there. But I have an underwear deficit. I'm having to do the laundry too often, much more often than I prefer. And I don't have the protection. I don't have the the special protection. Right. So, well, that's what they do. They make 
underwear. They make socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. And they're some of the most comfortable, if not the most comfortable, that you'll ever wear. Certainly and been true as, in my experience. What John likes and his ex-girlfriend is the silver underwear. And they also make silver shirts. But you don't look at them and say, that looks like you're wearing silver. The silver is woven into the fabric. So it's micro, micro silver. Right. And it, it's naturally antimicrobial. So it eliminates odor. I, I think it maybe makes you feel more comfortable, but I think they're all pretty comfortable. Well, you, it gets rid of the microbes and also the werewolves, the werewolves too. And maybe and vampires. I feel like there is a, a vampire story. Maybe it was the true blood story where they couldn't touch silver either. There is a silver thing. Yeah. In the vampire um, in the overall vampire story, silver does play a role. So I always remember silver bullet was what you needed to kill a werewolf, anything but that. And it might hurt them, but they're not, they can't be killed by it or stopped. Uh huh. Even like a 45 ACP. If it's not. Oh yeah. Silver, then forget it. But if forget I think a, 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 a silver 22 LR, you're fine. Silver 22 LR will do the job, whereas a normal 45 ACP will not, not do the job. Not do a thing. They I just see. might, ah, you know, they kind of, you see their shoulder get blown back and then they just keep moving forward. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Thank you for laying that out. I understand it a lot better now. Well, Mack Weldon makes all this great stuff. It performs well. It's great for casual wear. It's great for going out. You can go out, you can go to work in this stuff. You can go to work in it. You can... Work you out steal it from it. your steal it from your boyfriend. That's you can right. do a lot of things with this stuff. They've given our listeners a twenty percent off discount if you go to Mac Weldon M A C K W E L D O N MacWeldon dot com twenty percent off if they use the code Roadwork. I've seen this at at work because uh, because I've seen I haven't actually seen their underwear, but I have seen happy satisfied twenty percent off customers sitting there in the room with me. See, I think of you as a guy who's very fast on your feet, quick, quick wit. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there was a missed opportunity. If somebody came up to me and said, Hey, I listened to your show. And I, and, and I said, thank you for doing that. What, you know, how has it affected your life? And they said, well, we're wearing the Mack Weldon underwear. The only thing I'm, the only valid response is show me, show me. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, peel the little waistband up so you can see the little Mack Weldon logo. It means full on trowel dropped the full reveal. I feel like Dan, if you and I were out uh, doing like a live event, I want to do and that. We, and we arrived somewhere and somebody came up and was like, I'm wearing the Mack Weldon underwear. Then absolutely. We would be like drop trowel. Yeah. Show me. But in this situation where I arrived at a house and the whole family was there and they were all like, thank you for coming. And the underwear was like a small part of the story. I think it would have been maybe a little weird for me to be like, let's see, let's see your underpants. Just feels like it would have been a little I mean, looking know. back, you I see what you, I see what you mean. Looking back, I see what you mean. But, but I do wonder whether or not that would have been. The I mean, but they I, could step out into a private area to show you. They wouldn't have to have shown you in front of everyone else. 
But well, I see, feel that's, like that's something now that, that's super weird. Let's go to a private area where you're going to show me your underwear. Like that's not that wasn't this. Well, that wasn't what we were. It's doing. just an idea. Going forward, I'm looking forward to a time when we when this is a thing, when people come to our shows and it's like, all right, haven't you signed? I'm sure you've signed. Put them on the glass. A, you've signed a, you know, done an autograph on someone's arm or or some other part of a body. Not only that, but I've written things on people's arms, which they then went out and had tattooed. tattooed right. I, I, I thought I remembered that story. So I don't, I think if you're signing someone's body part, if you're laying hands on them and using a Sharpie and writing on them, the next logical step is to see if they're wearing Mac Weldon or not. Yes. Although there is the element of, do I want to like the people that came up and said, will you write this? Will you write your lyric on my arm? I'm going to have it tattooed. Yeah. I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. But this was a situation where it was like two guys in their fifties. Doesn't matter. Do. Yeah. But it's do all, I, it's just skin. It's all skin. But do I want it? I mean, it is a question of my own taste. But do I want thing. to see is, their underwear? Is this no. is the kind of thing where no, I would, I am I curious to like, if I were there and you said, show us your underwear, would I like go hooray lol? Yes. Is it like fulfilling something? I in- feel like it's a challenge. If someone says, oh, I'm, you know, it's all, it's your, all the great shows story in a nutshell. Oh, really? What show is that that you like? They need to have an answer. Oh, and we support you. We have the, sure, prove it then. Well, but see, this is the, you know, part of the, all the great shows, part of the, the lesson of that was not just that I shouldn't have said, <laughs> I love your I love shows. That's right. Uh, and he said, uh, it wasn't just that I shouldn't have said that because, you know, I didn't know any of his shows, Uh but also (laughs) like to turn around to someone who's saying, I love all your shows and say to them, oh yeah, what shows is a kind of a dick move, or at least in that situation felt like a dick move because then I was like, uh, I don't really care about your shows, bro. I was just sort of making conversation because we got we got um, put over here yeah. together. Yeah, it's not it's not like I don't like you. I just I was just being a dummy. Mm-hmm. But that's and the so, thing. I feel like if somebody's going to go so far as to say, and we're wearing the underwear right. you said to get that, I it just it's different. I think it's a different thing, and it it I think well, it they wanted. John, I, I think they wanted you to ask them to see it. But I am not. Uh, Seth Rogen or whoever that guy was. What's his name? Uh, Marty McFly. The guy that I liked all his shows. Um, <laughs> I'm not Mar- him. Marty McFly. That's who it was. Yeah, I'm not him. That's not my instinct is to be like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if somebody says like, I love your thing and I'm wearing right now, I'm wearing a thing that, you know, I'm oh, like, yeah, great. cool. Let's see it. Let's great. see it. High five. No, if somebody comes up and they're like, I handmade some uh, road work underwear uh-huh. and I, and I put a lot of work into it and, you know, and I made them out of like, I, I made paper mache underwear out of like newspaper clippings. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I'd like to see those, but like in general, I'm not going around the country just collecting random underwear viewings. Like if I'm going to see somebody's underwear, it's going to be as a part of a larger project. <laughs> okay. I can go along with that. It's it's hopefully going to be the part of like a, uh, like a new friendship. Right. Yeah. And, and really honestly, like 
it's that would be it the barrier to entry is pretty high for that too i was watching a video one time where there was a guy at a juggalo event and he was like dare me to do something somebody was like cut off your ear he was like okay and he cut off his ear really and you're like dude don't do that you can't put it back on did he not like it's so it's off now yeah, and it's a badge of honor. Like somebody dared me to cut off my ear, so I did. That's <laughs> really dumb. Well, it is dumb, but it's like within that world, you know, like from within our or from out here in our world, that seems dumb. You're going to have a hard time getting a job in IT missing an <laughs> ear yeah. unless you have a really good story. Yeah. But within his world, it's like, dude, where'd you lose your ear? I cut it off on a dare. Whoa, you're hardcore, bro. I know. I am hardcore. And hardcore is, I mean, that's fucking badge of honor in a lot of communities. And to be hardcore within Juggalo community, you got to be pretty hardcore. Because yeah. there's somebody else out there that's willing to cut off their ear. Right. That's sort not, of the entry, the bar, the, the bar to pass. I mean, there was a time when a tattoo on your face of any kind was about where hardcore got really serious, right? If you, I mean, if you had a teardrop on your eye, that was a real symbol. But also, if you were just somebody that didn't give a fuck so much that you'd put a tattoo on your face, I mean, even on your neck, there was a time when a, a neck tattoo was like, that's pretty rad. I right. Mean, you have to, I yeah, have a, I have a friend who's a tattoo artist and she's been slowly uh covering her arms which were fully tattooed uh inch by inch with just black just yeah. doing oh, doing just, just black ink black ink and I don't know where she's going to stop I mean I know she's at least doing her full arms and I was asking her about it I said you know I've I've seen this as kind of a a trend with some people and I, I didn't understand what, what was it just that it does it look cool or is there something more to it? And she said, no, she said, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but she said for a long time, uh, you know, getting, getting a half sleeve or a full sleeve was pushing the envelope. And then it became, you know, getting a neck tattoo that became, you know, pushing the envelope. She's like, now those things are essentially mainstream. Yeah. And so that people who at one point were heavily covered with tattoos, you know, that was a, that was a major statement. That was a really big deal. And only usually tattoo artists and, and some other people were willing to, to do that. And she said, now this is like the next thing. Like it's a step beyond even like you're saying, like the neck tattoo, like the next level only for ex- extreme is now doing the full black uh, right the base the bass player of rage against the machine i think has like an entire and has for a long long time like a a peck and an entire shoulder and arm all done in just like like black know, yeah black or you know dark blue ink um which i mean the first time i saw it, it seemed pretty hardcore but that's the thing about hardcore right there's always somebody that's going to be more hardcore than you and <laughs> like i have a friend, you can't ever win like you can't win. I have a friend, Chris Fences, who is completely covered from head to toe. He's got tattoos all over his face. And um, 
and continues to get more tattoos on his face to the point that, I mean, I, I went to an AA meeting in New York one time and there was a guy that you've probably seen one. There's one in, in your community as well. I imagine a guy that has, uh, tattooed a, um, a jigsaw puzzle yeah. all over his body yeah, I've seen from those. head to toe. Yeah. That's a nice, that's a good version, but it is a true commitment. You are jigsaw puzzle guy for forever. Although it's true of every tattoo, but jigsaw puzzle on the face is, you know, that's like definitely like kids are going to look at you at the bus stop. Um, but within like Juggalandia, uh, a tattoo of a jigsaw puzzle on your face is not going to get you very far when the other dudes there are like, well, I all, we all cut off our ear. What do you, what do you got? Right. And there's going to be, there's just going to be more and more. It's there, there's always some sort of form of like self modification, uh, that someone else is willing to do that, that, uh, you can't get in an arms race about it. But within, within that world, I think there's, it's much, much more, I don't want to say that the I, that the feeling is like fatalist, but there's a, there's a certain, I think part of my own motivation to not get tattooed or, or to modify myself in that way is based on a kind of fantasy that we are, that I'm going to live forever, that we all live forever. Right. As sort of like, like a, the fog of monotheism that we all come out of growing up in America where it's like, well, I don't want to get a tattoo. What if, what am I going to say to St. Peter when I stand in front of him and say, and he says, why did you get that tattoo that says, you know, that says, uh, fuck you, pay me or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know, man. It seemed like a good idea at the time. He's like, your knuckles say Jake and Elwood on them. That's a dumb thing. It's like, yeah, I liked that movie. So I, I've never done it because I, I have this, this weird feeling about the future and part of the thrill and the, uh, liberation of getting tattoos for my peers when we were all in our twenties was a little bit of that reclaiming yourself and saying like, you know what? We're not going to live forever. I don't give a shit about, um, it's not just about like now I can't get an IT job. It's much more about like this is my body mm -hmm. and it belongs to me, not to you. It doesn't belong to St. Peter. I don't have to justify this to anybody. And I was I was impressed by that justification for it. I just couldn't get over my own thing of right. like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. Take, your, take back the night or whatever, but I don't want to have to explain to St. Peter why I have a stupid Blues Brothers tattoo. So I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm not going to go down that road. But I think within, within the juggalo world, it's like, yeah, man, I might die tomorrow. So why not cut my tongue in half? <sighs> like down the middle, not cut it in half so I can't taste, but cut it in half so like that I can for a each, nice forked tongue. Like a yeah, move each side independently. That's fucking cool. And it's like, that is actually kind of cool. I mean, I don't, yeah, I still feel like I'm going to live forever. So I, I don't want to live forever with a tongue that can do that. But if you don't, if you're kind of aware that like life is transitory, you're living in the moment. It's actually pretty rad. <laughs> Maybe you even can put it back. I don't know. 
You you have a tattoo. I do. But it's not it's, a Jake and Elwood. Uh, it's like Molly Ringwald's uh, face in, in Pretty in Pink, <laughs> Pretty right? Pink. On your- yeah, where she's uh, – no, not from Pretty in Pink, from um, uh, – what's a detention one? Oh, uh, the one, yeah. Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club, yeah. That one. Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's in the small of your back, right? That's right. That's right. That's exactly what I have. So – you know, so and if I know. do, you know, if I bend left and right, it's actually her putting the lipstick on in that scene. Oh, so you can see that. Yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's nice that you were ahead of the curve. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, that's what I have. I mean, I would be surprised if you didn't have pretty regular encounters with juggalos, and you just didn't recognize them. Because how would they, I, I mean, how would I recognize it? What do I do to like, how do I, if they're not wearing the clown makeup, how do I know? Well, there are a lot of ways. And the first way is if you see someone with a tattoo of a clown. Now, there are lots of ways to get a tattoo of a clown. But when you really break it down, no, there aren't like, there are not that many ways to get a tattoo of a clown, right? I mean, why do you want a tattoo of a clown? Chances are you don't unless you are getting a tattoo of a clown because you know, people hate them. You're getting a tattoo of a clown because you aspire to one day be a clown right or you are presently a clown and and you want to honor clown clowning you want to honor the clowns that came before but if you see a clown tattoo if you see someone with a scary clown tattoo then you just have to look for a couple of other factors do they appear to have sort of um hip hop styling. Like, do they have a flat brimmed sports cap on that's kind of tilted at an angle on their head? Are they wearing baggy jeans where you can see 80% of their underwear? And they These have are styles that, that this is a style that used to be very popular. I haven't seen anybody wearing this for a long time. Well, it still exists. I mean, within- I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Within Juggalandia. Well, the thing is that it, I mean, go online and look up, I mean, I I imagine all you have to do is Google Juggalo and then follow, follow the thread um, because it's a universe and, and I'm doing, I'm, I'm, not describing it very well, but like, do you remember when cat in the hat hats were yes, popular? Yes, definitely. Do you remember when ravers wore pacifiers? Yes. Do you remember when Lane Staley of Allison chains braided his beard into a little weird rat yes, tail beard? Yes. Yes. Do you remember <laughs> when like white- walk down in memory lane into like college, <laughs> high school time? Yeah. Do you remember when, uh, 
uh, white dudes would braid their hair into little rat tail braids, but all of their hair. So it kind of looked like ratty dreads, yes. like rat tail dreads. Yes. I had a friend who did that. Do you remember baggy jean shorts that went down past the knee? Unfortunately, I do. Really baggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you combine all of those things, the cat in the hat hat or the foam jester cap that you might yeah jester hat that you might get at a county fair, uh, the uh, Lane Staley beard, the baggy jean shorts chain wallet the i mean basically the pacifier if you took every fashion crime of the last three decades and compressed them onto one person and then allowed that person to pick their own additional like 30 items of flair including probably like a buoy knife <laughs> and you know like a like rollerblades. I mean, it's very, very eclectic, but, but all derived from, you know, from a, from the footlocker of things that I don't have, right. I don't have any of those things. Not a single, I do have a chain wallet. That's the, to me, I connect a chain wallet more as a, an offshoot of biker culture, which we've talked about on this program. Right. But a lot of these kids would have had, Parents that were in biker culture. I mean, the the biker culture co-optation by hipster downtown people was much more alien than it would be to juggalo community because, you know, hipsters, hipster culture has for a long time imagined itself as having access to what it would call white trash Mm -hmm. affectation, right? And that was stuff that came out of punk rock and the idea that blue collar was honest, that college, college high talkers were, um, were fake. And that what we, what we really needed was a, a world that was, you know, down in the, down in the true margins where the bikers lived and the, and the stevedores and the, and the lumberjacks and all these sort of iconic masculine figures that don't even really exist anymore. Like lumberjacks. I mean, there are still lumberjacks, but they don't dress like they don't put oil in their beards. You know what I mean? And so the co-optation of these, this blue collar stuff <laughs> by rich, downtown people is charming, I guess, but it overlaps with in some rare instances with these, you know, with like poor whites who are just actually the children of lumberjacks and stevedores and bikers. And they didn't move to San Francisco and they don't, and they didn't open a coffee shop and they don't drive a fixie bike. They actually are still in Missouri and, they they have that chain wallet because it belonged to their dad who was right. a, a member of the hombres until he was killed and that's all they have left to remember him by is his wallet uh because he left it home that day or whatever so there there it can get very confusing and what's very interesting is that you would think cuz if you go to a kid rock show 
there are Confederate flags everywhere. It's a sign, it's a signifier to those people that they're rebels. And Kid Rock is a rebel because he's a, you know, because he calls himself one and because he isn't afraid to drive a monster truck and rap, I guess, was initially what made him unusual. Right. Like, wait a minute, he's a hick. No, he's a rapper. No, he's a hick. No, he's a rapper. Which is it? I don't know. It's crazy. Now it's not funny anymore, but, you know, Confederate flags everywhere there. But it, but no Confederate flags at Juggalo events because they're not down with it. I don't know. This whole thing is so wonderful. I can't but be excited. Uh, largely because this is not what I ever would have predicted would be what was interesting about the present. It's not what I wanted at all. Right. I'm, I'm one of those poor saps that always believed that the more education you made available to the world, the more that you would develop a, a uh, educated population of intelligent, independent thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Consider collaborative philosopher, Kings and Queens that were making rational decisions. Right based on science and education. Right. And, you know, we have a lot of education available in this country. There are more people going to college now than ever before. Um, College degrees are papering the ground, Dan. (laughs) But, uh, but still we don't seem to be able even to agree. Like when you take a picture of a group of people, like some people say there are a thousand people and some people say there are a hundred people and you can't even, you can't argue because it's like, I mean, there's a photograph of them. I guess we can zoom in and count everybody. But there's no, you know, like we're, we're that far removed. And now I'm feeling like maybe the future of the country is when the juggalos kill the Nazis, when the juggalos and the Nazis go to war for the heart and soul of, of Hole in Rock. Uh, where is Hole in Rock? So they have, the juggalos have a, a gathering every year. I think it might be called the gathering. Like they're not, they don't name things super good. Is it called hole in rock? No, maybe there's so many hole in rocks. I I had no idea that hole in rock was such a popular. <laughs> I've never heard uh, of it. Name for thing. Well, that's the thing. I, I, okay. Juggalo gathering. Let's see what that's called. The Gathering of the Juggalos is what it's called. So <laughs> I wasn't far <laughs> off. Gathering of the Juggalos. I mean, a very inventive uh, name. Mm-hmm. And it happens um, at, okay, Karma Forest. What's that about? It used to happen at a place that had a name like Hole and Rock. I don't, they're not telling me where this is. I guess if you're going to be at the Gathering of the Juggalos, you got to know where it is. If you don't know where it is, then you're not coming. Uh, well, gee, they don't have a map. <laughs> How do you get there? How do you find it? Is it like a, you got to know somebody kind of thing? Gathering location. Wait, wait, there is a wiki. Oh, thank God. Thank God. There's a wiki so that somebody like me can interact with it. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the gathering yep Toledo Ohio that was the second one 
okay, the third one was at the Civic Center in Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> 8,000 people went. And they were like, okay, we can't have that again. Seems like a lot of people. Well, I think it, that's just the that's just the beginning, my friend. Then Garrettsville, Ohio, hosted it. Uh, then at that point, it started to go um, twenty four hours a day. Have you been to one of these things? Well, so maybe this you were is- there. Like you're saying that maybe there's juggalos all around me. Maybe you've been to one of these things. Maybe you've even played one of these things and didn't know it. No, you would know it. So it was called Cave in Rock, not Hole in Rock. <laughs> uh, but like, here are some of the people that have played over the years. Vanilla Ice, uh, Tech Nine I mentioned. Ice Cube has been. Uh, Charlie Sheen went. Of course. Um, Ice-T, Andrew WK, a lot of other bands that have weird spellings like Zug Island, but Island is spelled I-Z-L-A-N, Zug Island. Prozac with a Z and a K, Mushroom Head. I mean, I don't know what these things are, but um, there's a lot of wrestling. Pauly Shore. Mm. Wow. Guar and Coolio. You know, it's like it's a, these are big. These are big, uh, big names. Tone Loke, Tom Green. I mean, not big names, but Ron Jay, of course. So, okay, so I think they got chased out of Cave-In Rock. And now, and then I went to Missouri. Boy, it's really confusing where it is now. It's probably not confusing. Okay. In, in 2018, it will be held in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma at the Lost Lakes Amphitheater, hmm. 26th through 29th. So... Uh, so that's coming up and I do feel like this may be one of the last great undiscovered like burning man type things where I'm sure if you have been going to the gathering of the juggalos since 2006 or 2003, you're like, Oh man, it's not the same. Right. I bet that, I bet that's true. But like, I doubt very much that the, gathering of the juggalos has been co-opted by mainstream culture yet, right? It's still pretty, it's still pretty rooted in itself. And I bet you it would make a great, I, yeah. Cause I think they are generally like very respectful of newcomers. I mean, I, you, you probably don't want to go into like the tent of the high priests and say, <laughs> yo, 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 want to hear my indie rock or whatever. But I, but I think if you went, you would be treated, uh, you know, it's sort of in the same way that the, um, you know, the residents of the Afghan Kush have a, have a culture where even if you are at war with them, if you are a guest in their country, they will, you know, there's, they provide you hospitality they would never let someone come pull you out of their guest bedroom, even if you were their, you know, their sworn enemy because their hospitality culture is so strong. And I think that may also be true of the juggalos. I mean, I don't know if I could handle it. I feel like we need to get you to go to one of these things. Just to sort of, I mean, you've been all over, you've been all over Europe. You've seen the, the Yeti thing in the Alaska, wherever. I mean, I feel like you need to 
you need to do this. The Yeti thing in the Alaska, whatever. Yeah, you were going through the ice that time, the ice and snow, and there was like a Yeti. Hmm? I have to dig it up. I'm not sure I ever claimed to have seen a Yeti, Dan. That was maybe I was recounting a story that I read in a book. That's, you know, I mix that stuff up. But I did put into the show notes, I did put in the episode 35, Mr. Yuck, where, yeah. where you discussed leather pants, tattoos, and buying motorcycles in great detail. Yeah. Right. So, for, so for new listeners who haven't been with us, they can jump in uh, to that episode and hear more on that. Yeah. 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 That's a good place to start. I mean, obviously, that's I come back episode. around come back around to it quite a bit. Wow. I mean, just looking at pictures of juggalos, I do see the appeal, not to me, uh, but, but I do see the appeal to people because you just can do what you want. And that's a, it seems like I was looking at the pictures too, while we were talking and it seems like it's, I mean, I don't want to make any generalizations because I'm not that familiar with the culture, and I'm sure we've got some listeners who could enlighten us. There's a lot of um, a lot of flicking people off, giving them the middle finger. Well, sure, but that's like there's a lot of cor- corpse stuff going on. There, there is some corpse stuff, yeah, and I think that plays into the whole um, like life is short, right? A lot of to- a lot thing. of lot of topless women. Mm-hmm. And many of them have painted clown faces on their bare breasts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there is probably zero body shaming. Mm-hmm. I think there is probably zero, um, like zero resistance to you saying that you, uh, there's zero resistance to like identity transformation. Right. So if you, are you know if if you're looking for a place where you can express your identity that you feel is like not that mainstream culture is unwilling to accept or or uh, you know where mainstream culture is resistant to you as you transform to um a new self i uh, i cannot imagine a place safer than jugglelandia they're not a violent group. Well, once again, I feel like the violence is, I mean, that they have a relationship to violence, which is born out of what I imagine is a familiarity with violence. Like they are not people who say, oh, violence is, it, it, violence isn't abstract, Right there, there are a lot of us living in cultures where violence has become somewhat abstract. If you are a if you are a white middle class person who was raised in a family where no one ever got spanked and the police have never confronted you violently, mm-hmm. and no one at your work or no you've never had a relationship that was a violent one, then the only thing that you've ever experienced is either emotional violence or violence by association violence from watching violence right you have this abstract sense of what violence is what it feels like what who the culprits are what the solutions are 
And a lot of the people that make social prescriptions in the world, social workers and people and theorists and people who are on the internet yelling about the world, they're just by virtue of their class and status are less familiar with violence. And I think, you know, there it's a lot easier for men in the world to be abstract about violence than mm-hmm. it is uh, women who feel like the, just the size differential right. more profoundly. But then of course men are the ones that are both committing and receiving the 99% of violence. But there's a lot of abstraction in violence in our world, right? I mean, I know a lot of people who have never been hit. They've never hit anyone and they've never been hit. Is that good or bad in your estimation? Well, I think it's wonderful if you can live your life not being hit. I think if you've never been hit, you should be careful talking about what hitting represents and what it's like to be hit. You shouldn't talk about what it's like to be hit. And tell people about it. Tell people what they should and shouldn't do or should and shouldn't think if you've never been hit. And that's weird, right? Because you do want to be able to speak in the world. This is part of this weird world we're in now where you're not where, – where you're discouraged from speaking about things that you don't have firsthand experience about. And I mean that to say we should all talk about violence all the time. I think it's – something that we should talk more about and more freely about. I just mean you shouldn't be handing down prescriptions. And I think that's something I would say about, and I I would say that even acknowledging that I'm handing down a prescription. But like there's so much lecturing happening in our world now from this position of feeling very secure in what people know, you know, people, people who feel very secure in their own knowledge enough that they can start lecturing people that they don't know, that they don't know their own experience. And my guess is that within juggalo culture, there's a lot more firsthand experience of violence, both in terms of like what kinds of childhoods people had Mm -hmm. and what daily life is like. They're just a little bit closer to it. And so, Probably not as shocked by it, not as um, scandalized by it, and sort of represent or, or recognize that you know the human beings are monkeys and violent, naturally violent. So all that kind of corpse stuff and the and the the violent imagery, the guns and the flipping offs and the blood splatter, which is a huge part of juggalo adornment is not just clown makeup, but then with an overlay of splatter Mm. blood splatter is Mm. a big, you know, like the clown with the hatchet is like splattering blood, Mm. serial killery kind of stuff. Um, and I think that probably comes not more naturally, but like they're certainly closer to closer to violence than I am. And I've been hit a lot. Juggalettes who spit blood. That is a, that's a subset here. Juggalettes who spit blood is an actual like title of a page. 
How important is the um, is the clown makeup part? Is that sort of like we're going to a concert, so we're going to put that on, or is that we're going to out to dinner? I mean, at what point are you putting that on? I think it's. I, I don't think that you wear it around town. I mean, it's I'm a special sure event. It's sort of your. It's a. There's an event happening. Sort of the way that you might put on a tie the the clown makeup's coming out right i mean i'm sure there are plenty of people that have tattooed clown makeup on their face and that's that's how they're rolling now but uh but no i think you put on clown makeup to go to shows that's what i imagine wow there's so many i mean you just put juggalette into Google and you just find so many wild images. Pull that up. I think, I mean, I don't have, I hope it doesn't seem like we have a problem with this because we're, we're encouraging of it, embracing it. No, I don't think, I don't think anybody would mistake us for having a problem with it. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. It's certainly not, you know, like it's not my kind of thing, but I like to see people having fun no one's getting, no one, I guess, is getting hurt. Oh, I think they, they're all getting hurt. They want to be. Yeah, I think they're getting hurt, but I think they want to be. They yeah. want to be. So that's a separate, separate thing. Yeah, it's uh, interesting pictures. Yeah, right. It just seems like it's a mixture of interesting things that that seem nice and then also with a whole lot of uh strange a lot of really strange yeah yeah but i think i would like to hear from our listeners if any of them are part of this culture i would like to i would love to get an email telling us a little bit about it telling us a little bit about how they found it what what it's like Oh, I'm certain we're going to get emails about it. I want to. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, I, I when I started talking about bronies many years ago and furries, I got lots and lots of email from people that listened um, who were members of both communities, and I learned a lot from them. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot from them about their communities and about the world in general. Do you want to do uh, a listener email here? I have one. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got a lot of uh, responses about last at the last episode in which you very candidly talked about uh, – going through the email. Here's one. Where you talked about depression and bi- being bipolar and things like that. And we got a lot of emails from people who wrote in saying – that it was a great episode, that it really helped them. And uh, that's awesome. I hope I hope it does. I hope it keeps helping people. And I thought it was really good of you to talk about it. Yeah. And so here's an email uh, referring to that. Uh, this person says, I'm a faithful listener to your show and wanted to share a message with John specifically about what a rec- what a recent episode meant to me. Here's the story. He says, John, I feel like this is putting a message in a bottle and throwing it into the ocean, i.e. I doubt this will reach your inbox still. 
I just wanted to say that your description of phenomenology of depression at the beginning of Roadwork episode 77 with Dan Benjamin was amazingly clear, perspicacious, and personally helpful. It hit me like a lightning bolt. I've been battling the constellation of mental illnesses involving depression and anxiety for my entire conscious life. Your description of the logic of depression somehow crystallized a thought in my mind about how to help handle it in my life. I've been in talk therapy. I've tried a number of psychopharmacological drugs, the works. Still, somehow that description made my own issues clearer to me than they have been in the past. I just wanted to let you know that for all the joking you do on your show with Merlin about helping people, this is at least one instance where your openness about your own struggles really did help me understand something about myself a little better. Thank you, and thanks for all the great shows. D.Y. Yeah, that's lo- that's a lovely letter, and and um, you know it's the whole point. It's the whole point of it. the 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 problem with so much of this stuff is that there isn't a cure, and there isn't um, there just isn't. There's, I mean, it's it's characterized primarily by loneliness. We just feel alone because our because our our struggle isn't something that you can share. You talk, try and talk about it to your people, but your people, it's very rare that the people closest to you have a, have markedly similar experiences. And so everybody, you know, so you feel like a burden on your friends, just asking them for asking them to listen. Like, um, how you doing today, man? Oh, not very good. And immediately your friends are like, oh, okay, well, shit, what can I do? Mm, I don't think you can do anything. Okay, well, good talking to you. You know, like it's very lonely. Yeah. Um, and so talking about it and talking about it in a way, I think, where um, – You know, I'm able to be candid because I'm not inhibited about it, but right. also I'm not asking for I'm not asking for anything from anybody. Like I don't I don't need um, you know I'm not trying to go fund uh, an experience for myself. I, I'm just talking about it because I've 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 been through it and. I'm clear about it. I do, and I don't feel ashamed about it. Right. It's that doesn't change. Um, talking about it does not lower me in the world at all because I make my own life. And so if I was in the CIA, I couldn't talk about it on a podcast because it would jeopardize my job. Right. I think if I worked at Facebook, Maybe it would jeopardize my job just because maybe a coworker listened to it and somebody would send me an email that's like, that's not really appropriate. Right. You know, like, I don't know exactly how much that's true in the world, but I get the feeling there are a lot of emails people get that it's like, oh, hey, I saw your post. Could you take that down? Because that's not very professional. I imagine that happens a lot more now that I'm thinking about it, a lot more than I am aware but I don't live in a world – I mean that happened to me one time in the last year. The, the Blue Angels wrote Seafair and said, can he stop talking about the Blue Angels as strafing Seattle? Because strafing means committing war and we're not 
killing people right. were just flying over. And I was like, lol, the Blue Angels are sad because I use the word strafing. And so I like I as a favor to Seafair, I was like, yeah, all right. And what I did was I did that thing on Instagram where I was like, hide your post. I, I don't know how it works, but I made it go away sufficient that the social media person at the Blue Angels whose job it was to make sure that they weren't described as strafing. Uh, they were satisfied. Everybody was happy. Right. But, but I, I can talk about this stuff with you. You can talk about stuff because we're not, nobody's going to send us an email that says, yeah, hi, can you take that down? And so the value of it is primarily just that. If you feel that way, and you hear somebody talk about it, it re- it relieves both a little bit of the, I mean, I think it relieves a lot of the burden of loneliness, but it also takes away some of the stigma too, just a little bit, because now it's, you know, somebody's talking about it on the internet, how it's, it no longer feels like this private drag where you're, Where you're in this, you know, you're this just this this bottomless drag on people. Yourself most, yourself most of all. I don't know. It feels it feels very easy for me to do because the stakes for me are low. I'm not right, ashamed. Right, right. right. I, you know, I'm not. Nobody's ever going to deny me a security clearance that they weren't already going to deny me. Mm-hmm. And nobody is ever going to listen to this program and say, you know what, I was going to give him a high paying opportunity but now i'm not because he seems a little bit unstable because he admitted to having um psychological struggles and i think for years and years we were all we were all taught like to be scared of that and even if you're not scared of your boss coming down on you or or the feds or something you know it's a, it's also scary if you're a thoughtful person you see people who talk about their mental illness too much in public you see people that use it to gain sympathy for themselves or who use it as a way of of you know of sort of like this is who i am i am my mental illness i'm defined by my struggle i you know, I want to be known everywhere as the person that needs special treatment because they are always in turmoil. And, and you know, I think most people, even who are really struggling, don't want that to be their calling card. They don't want to be perceived as someone who's like, hey, my Facebook account is all about my, you know, my uh difficulty and I'm just trying to get as many faves as I can to get me through the day. Like, you know, I think a lot of the listeners to our show are probably like I am resistant to being that way either. But if you don't have anyone to talk to about it and you don't want to go on Facebook and, and collect thumbs ups, right. It just increases that feeling of isolation. So I don't know. I mean, it's really hard. It's hard even for me. I have lots and lots of close friends that I have had that conversation with where they're like, how you doing? And I've said, really bad. I am suffering from a, a, uh, 
emotional disability and it is affecting my friendship with you and my ability to do the things that I need to do. And today is a bad day. And I have watched those friends, people that I like a lot, that I respect a lot. I have watched their eyes glaze over, not in boredom, but in like confusion and fear about what they're expected to do and say next. And it has affected, it's affected friendships where they don't know what to do and say, I am sad that I brought it up. I'm, you know, I forgive them, but I'm also like, well, if you didn't want to, if you didn't want to know, why'd you ask type of thing? You know, it's like even, it it makes you even more tired. And I had a really, really, really close friend say to me earlier this year, like, oh man, I didn't realize you were suffering. I, you know, I don't want you to feel alone. I want you to always feel like you can talk to me. Right. And I was like, wow, thanks. And so I wrote them an email the the next day, a long email about what was going on with me. I didn't hear back from them. That's pretty shitty. And I followed up and didn't hear back. Followed up in kind of like, not in a like, hey, did you get my email? But followed up with like, oh, and another thing I was thinking about. And I, you know, wrote another email. Didn't hear back. And so I did, I, I, I wrote them, I sent them a text and I was just like, Hey, you know, when you say like, I don't want you to feel alone. I, and I want you to always feel like you can talk to me. And then I do send you a thing and then you don't reply. It doesn't feel like you were being very sincere. And their reply was, I've been meaning to write you, but God, your emails are so long. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, this is a good friend, a good friend that I've known a long, long, long time, but you know, that's not a thing that they, I guess that they can help me with, right? That's not a job that they feel comfortable doing. And they, they, they want to say, Oh man, I w- I'm here for you, but it's hard to be there for somebody. And you say like, Hey, I'm here for you, but that's, it's a lot of work to be there for somebody. And in my case, like this person needed to respond to a long email that had it, a, that had a lot of different thoughts in it because I was like, and then this, and then, but also this, and what about this? And I guess, you know, they're living a busy life and didn't have the time to sit down and dig into it. And then that inevitable thing happens where you're like, oh, I should have replied last week, but I didn't. And now I've got that hanging over me. But, you know, I was on the other end of that waiting and waiting. Like I wrote this big thing. I was hoping that I would hear back from them within an hour. Right. And so six days later, it's sort of like, well, you know, what that ended up being was worse than if you had not offered me any help. Yeah. Uh, Because now not only do I not have the help that I already didn't have, but now I also feel estranged from a friend that I know ultimately like wants good things for me. But so that happens to us all. And 
when that happens enough to you, you get real shy about get real shy about saying like, well, you get real shy about saying I need help is the first thing you get shy about because you don't want to say that and have somebody say, let me help you and then have them let you down. No. And that's kind of sets up the whole reason why you didn't tell him in the first place. That's right. Cause you were expecting something like that. And then, then it happened. So it's, um, I mean, one of the crazy things for me is that I have, that I did find medication that worked for me. And I've heard for a lot of, from a lot of people, like I get emails from people that are like, well, be careful because that medication worked for you, but then maybe it'll stop or, or be careful because that medication didn't work for me. And I, and those emails have given me a real education in, in the, the great variety of people's experiences, not with medication. Cause I've, known a lot about that over the years, but with like the particular effects of the particular thing I'm taking. But then also people who write me and just say like, I've had terrible experiences and, and there are a lot of these things that just aren't curable. There aren't pills you can take. There aren't solutions other than the the ones that I was already practicing mm-hmm. endurance and, and, um, self-reliance and maintenance. And it's easy to feel hopeless if your only prognosis is like, keep on keeping on. I know you feel like, really tired and really up against the wall all the time. But guess what? That's as good as it's going to get. So keep on plugging. You know, that's awful. And that's what defeats so many people. But my experience has been that in the friendship we show each other, there is a, there is a sign. There are signs that like, wait a minute, we don't each have to, reinvent this wheel entirely by ourselves each time. And it isn't in the, it's not on the message boards and it's not in the literature and it's not coming from the mental health professionals. There is a commonality and just knowing about it and, and being unified or just feeling that sense of like, Oh, am I not the only one that has thought this? Wow. Thank you. That takes a lot of the fire out of that dragon just to know that it's not mine alone. But I don't know how to systematize that because as soon as you make it a message board, somebody, you know, there's three good weeks where people are like, wow, this is the most incredible community I've ever been in. And then somebody comes in and is like, let me talk exclusively about my problems now. And I will not listen to anyone else. And, you know, and then gradually people just drift away because some dope ruins it. Mm. But you want there to be a world where like listeners of road work who suffer from mental illness can gather and say like, wow, that was a real conversation starter. Like, wouldn't that be nice if there was a world like that, that somehow was self moderating. And when somebody came in and said, let me tell you about, let me tell you about myself endlessly. 
that moderators could send them to Reddit where they belong. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Every time you want to make the world better, then all of a sudden you're like, well, but we need to build a gate. And then as soon as you build a gate, you're like, oh, well, we're not doing this right anymore. <laughs>